talk about practical living the Christian life in the realities of these relationships which are simultaneously the most valuable and wonderful and the most frustrating and difficult. And so uh, last week we talked about the crazy busy family. Uh, This week we are talking about when a family member annoys. Oh yeah, right? When a family member annoys... We are not talking about when a family member sins against me. I want to uh, clarify what I'm talking about here today. Uh, And these lines are fuzzy because sometimes when a family member is annoying, they are operating out of a sinful motive, and you may want to call that sin, and perhaps it it should be. Uh, We're not talking, though, about the kind of like destructive level sins that family members do against us, sins like violence or uh, slander or theft or abuse. These are ones that rise to a level where like the laws of the land offer protections and there are interventions and boundaries that are, that are required. We're talking today about the little slights, the little annoyances, those ongoing irritations the little habits and qualities and traits that family members have that can, over time, absolutely infuriate us. So, for example, chronically late, chronically lazy, chronically selfish, chronically passive-aggressive, chronically jealous, chronically in Eeyore about everything, chronically asking for money, chronically mooching, chronically divisive, chronically rude or profane, chronically contentious, chronically requiring everyone to bow to them, chronically awkward, chronically and incredibly annoying. These are the kinds of things that you deal well with on day one of the Christmas holiday, but by day four or so, you're like ready to, you know, you're like praying for the rapture to happen or something. Family problems are bad enough to make all of us pre-tribulational, okay? Now that's a theology joke, but look it up and you'll get it and laugh later uh, about it. Because it's just the way that it is, right? So, so frustrating. And I would imagine as I even begin talking like this, you're starting to get somebody in mind. You're starting to think about somebody. So why don't we do this? On the count of three, let's all say that person's name out loud. Ready? One, two, let's not do that. Because it's possible that person is sitting near you right now. Let's also identify how we are to not respond to that annoying family member. And this quote says it, it, says it well from a book called Boundaries, a nice, nice little book, helpful little book. Passive boundaries, such as withdrawal, triangulation, pouting, affairs, and passive-aggressive behavior, are extremely destructive to a relationship. Passive ways of showing people that they do not have control over you never lead to intimacy. They never educate the other on who you really are. They only estrange. And I would imagine we have in this room today a lot of estrangement in family relationships, if we were honest. 
Relationships that maybe at one time were healthy and were good, but over time somehow have slipped into bitterness or resentment or hatred, mockery. These are all things that for a Christian, and and by the way, to be clear, this is a Christian message. This is a Bible message. This is an applying the gospel of Jesus to human life message None of these are Christian messages. None of these are pleasing to the Lord. None of these bring glory to God when we respond this way. But what they do do is they leave our treasured relationships in tatters. And that can go on for a long time, sometimes for the rest of life. And frankly, many of these like permanent breaches started off as annoyances, started off with some little irritation that wasn't dealt with properly, and then over time became way more than it ever should have been. I think of the, of the words of uh, Spurgeon when he said, easier to crush the egg than kill the snake, and how true that is. When something's small and you can deal with it, that's one thing, but once it takes on a life of its own, it becomes so much more difficult for that to be handled. And as I'm talking like this, I would imagine many of you are probably thinking to yourself, I have exactly what you're talking about. And you may be thinking about other people and their struggles with this. But we need to really look into our own hearts. And that's the first thing that I want to say. And by the way, this is not so much like an expositional message. This is more of a sort of a biblical theology type message, a practical Christian living, an application message. But what does the Bible say about human annoyance? And the first thing that it makes clear, if there's anything that is most important about biblical annoyance, is that all of us need to be able to say with honesty that the most annoying person that we know is me. Now by that I don't mean Steve DeWitt. I mean like (laughs) you looking in the mirror and saying about yourself that you are the most annoying person that, that you know because there isn't anybody that knows you like you know you. And you know who you are, but mostly this is looking at this biblically because way more annoying to you than your mother-in-law is how annoying you are to Almighty God. In fact, the words that the Bible uses to describe how we are naturally to God go way stronger than annoying. It goes into words like wrath, the wrath of God towards us, the offense that we have, that we are as sinners to God. Listen to Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these little things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Here's Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This and, these and many, many other verses describe the offense that God has towards us. The wrath that God has towards us in our natural selves as we are born, as we are naturally before him as sinners. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. We are rebels against God. So if we were to ask God, like, who on earth annoys you? He would say, y'all do. 
okay? You all do. That God loves us anyway is an incredible measure of his love, not our lovability, okay? It is God's love that is amazing. It is not our lovability that is amazing. No, we're offensive and annoying, but he loves us anyway. This is the amazing love of God. And further, we are just a short time away from being extremely annoyed by one another. Realize there isn't a single person in this room that if you were to go on an extended vacation with them, it would not take long for you to find traits about them that you would find incredibly annoying. Except the pastoral staff, that would be the exception. That. In fact, it's kind of funny for me because I, I got up here and I started talking and I happened to look and right here in about the eighth row is my college roommate visiting today. Should I list some of the annoying things I remember from Brian Wright here in the 10th row? Now he's, now he's the principal. Now he's the principal at Bradley Bourbon A High School, so he's this big deal now. But man, I knew him back when. And uh, so you live with somebody. You spend time with somebody and you learn little idiosyncrasies about them that can, in the end, be maddening, right? That's why generally people practice the three-day rule. Have you heard of the three-day rule when it comes to like visits that fish and company get old after three days? There's a lot of truth to that. Have you ever had the Griswolds of your family show up and say, we're staying for a week, right? How does that go? Like by day four, again, you're pulling your hair out. These people, they're so annoying. So we are by nature offensive to God, and we are in practice offensive and annoying to one another. It's almost like we're all sinners, right? So why do you suppose that Jesus said uh, this, according to John, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. Why would Christian love towards one another be an indisputable sign that we are followers of Jesus? Because naturally, we do not love one another. Naturally, there is enough within every single one of us that over time, we would dislike each other and we would, we would break in our relationships with one another. But a, a, a church family that enduringly and ongoingly loves one another, that's a supernatural thing. That's a sign that we know and understand the love of God to us. So a supernatural work is a church family at peace. And let us strive for that here at Bethel Church. Amen? So let's talk about this. First thing I want to say is that the gospel of Jesus provides everything that we need to love the annoying people in our lives, okay? The gospel of Jesus itself provides what we need. How does it do this? This is agape love. Agape love, that Greek word for, the, for that predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly in the New Testament is used to describe a kind of selfless, self-giving that strives for the joy and the good of somebody else. This agape love epitomized in what God did in sending Christ for us. Now, if I have a main passage today, it's Matthew 18, and I'm going to read a parable in Matthew 18, if you have a Bible, like to turn there, you could. Uh, beginning in verse 21, 
there's this famous interaction between Peter and Jesus. So Peter comes up to Jesus and says to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now here Peter is being lavishly generous. Like even up to seven times, he was kind of taking the expectation to a higher level, thinking I am being very generous here with seven. Jesus' response, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay, and that's even a play on words there, or 70 times seven in another passage. And now he tells a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we don't... uh, traffic in that kind of a currency, so I'll just tell you that right now 10,000 talents is an astronomical number. Like Jesus here is just, he's just throwing out a crazy number. That'd be like, say, a billion dollars, okay? A billion dollars. He owes this master a billion dollars. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him, notice, and forgave him the debt. Okay, he didn't just say, all right, you're not going to prison, but go get a job and pay me back. No, he forgives the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. Okay, and this is now like, Five or ten dollars. Like this is a small, compared, it's a really small number. A hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Now, does that sound familiar? It is exactly the same words that this guy had said to the master just minutes before. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also, my heavenly Father will will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, time doesn't allow a big exposition here, but I hope you got the sense of the story. A guy who owes an amount that is unpayable, okay? Unpayable amount of money. The master has pity on him, forgives him the massive debt. The same guy walks out and finds a guy that owes him the equivalent of a Happy Meal and says, pay me what you owe me, and begins to choke him. And the guy says the same words, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But this guy throws him in prison for the Happy Meal until the debt could be paid. And the question, of course, is how can you receive lavish mercy from somebody 
and then not have a little bit of mercy for the little slight and the little debt, it doesn't make any sense. And this is, I think, a picture of what life is like, especially in the context of a family. Because in a family, you are constantly picking up these little $5 and $10 debts, these little relational debts that uh, sinners have against one another. Yes, okay, we will watch again tonight, Gilmore Girls. Again. That's a $5 debt. No big deal, okay? I wanted something different, but hey, you insisted, okay? It's playoff, football playoff time, but no, we'll do Gilmore Girls. Next day. Do you really have to chew your food that loud? Like, really? Could you close your mouth around the table? Next day, you told mom and dad I did what? Next day, who made you princess around here, your majesty? And on and on it goes, right? And with family, over time, you pick up these little annoyances that any one of them, all by themselves, in a vacuum of space, you could deal with it. But over time, they accumulate, Right? And that debt seems bigger and bigger and bigger. And without the gospel, you end up on Jerry Springer. That's how it happens, right? (laughs) So, as a Christian, what I have to do is, as this debt is accumulating, this $5, $5, $5, $5, I have to bear in mind that as annoying and as irritating and as frustrating as this person, their attitude and actions are. It is nothing in compared to what God has had mercy towards me in, in my offense, in my annoyance and irritation and rebellion against him. Like the scale is just massively different. And the gospel points out that massive debt Difference that I am, I'm the billion dollar guy. I've been, I've been forgiven a billion dollars from, from God. And there is nobody in this world that is ever going to accumulate enough debt against me that is even close to the debt that God forgave me in Christ. And so we have to see these little debts against the grid of the big debt. Maybe, maybe do try that, okay? Next time you're like irritated inside, just like be like, you know, happy meal. Happy meal. (laughs) National debt forgiven. National debt forgiven. Happy meal. Because it puts it in perspective. And this is also why the quality of our human relationships are actually an indication of whether we truly understand the gospel. Let me say that again. The quality of our human relationships and the way that we function in community with others is an indication of whether we actually believe the gospel of Jesus. Not just sing about it, not just take the Lord's Supper about it, not sort of claim the title of being a Christian, but actually living it out on the street level with people is one of the greatest indications of who gets the gospel and who doesn't. Here's what John says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Not lying about hating his brother, but lying about actually loving God. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And that is why I would urge you not to just sort of dismiss as inconsequential that family member that you're struggling with, right? Go big time passive aggressive and say, you know what, I'm just like done with you. I'm out of here. This is how I'm going to deal with it. No, not as a Christian, okay? Loving the annoying person and the irritating person may be the greatest spiritual accomplishment of your life. More than going to being a missionary, you know, more than writing a systematic theology, loving the annoying and difficult person could be your greatest spiritual accomplishment. So to that end, what I have is I have five biblical strategies for dealing with the $5 happy meal, annoying, irritating debts that we pick up in relationships with other people. Okay, so here's the five. Number one is to overlook it. Overlook it. Proverbs, what a wonderful book Proverbs is. The whole thing written about just like practical wisdom for living the Christian life. So many wonderful truths in it. Here is one. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. Over the years, this verse has come to my mind oftentimes. Now, whether I've applied it faithfully, probably not. But at least it's come to my mind as I've thought about whether I should be mad about something or not. You ever have that moment where something happens and you're like, and in that moment, you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, it's kind of like my daughter's when she's about to cry. The longer the breath goes in, the louder it's coming out. You know, you have that moment where you're like, and you're like, do I feel bad about this? Should I be bad about this? What should I do about this? That's the moment when this verse needs to come to mind. It is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. This is a character quality. The ability to be magnanimous about the faults of other people. Pettiness is the opposite of that, okay? Pettiness takes the slights or the faults of other people and magnifies them, okay? Makes them huge. This minimizes them to an extent where I actually can't even hardly see it anymore. I just overlook it. I am overlooking. I'm not looking at it. I am overlooking it. The image is kind of helpful, isn't it? When somebody is like in your life, they're in your space, they're in your face, you can't get away from that annoying irritation. It is so easy to obsessively look at them and that fault over and over and over again. And over time, it grows and it grows and it grows. This is talking about minimizing it to such an extent, it's like you don't even see it anymore. I just, I just overlook it. I overlook it. And as Christians, we have a basis for doing this, by the way. Romans 12, this is the foundation of Paul's argument in Romans 12, that because God is the final judge and jury, and he has promised, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, Paul goes on to say, therefore, do good to those who do bad things against you. Love your enemies. Now, our natural inclination is to do the opposite of that, but that's because we think that we're the sheriff. And I gotta make this right, and you did this to me, and so you're gonna hurt back. And maybe the only way I can hurt you back is to withdraw a relationship, but I'm gonna do that, okay? You are not gonna get away with this. I've had it up to here. No, I don't have to have it up to here because God's had it up to here, and God's gonna take care of it. I am now free from the obligation 
to be judge and jury about what has been done against me, the annoyance that has been done against me. So anger and bitterness is me refusing to let God settle the score. Overlooking, as we're talking about here, is letting God take care of it. So the key here is to be hard to annoy. Are you hard to annoy? Or are you quickly irritated? Like, is your fuse this long? Or is your fuse this long? And some of you know I'm talking to you, right? How quickly you can just, whoo, fly off the handle. You're mad, like, in a moment. Somebody cut you off on the highway, like, Exactly what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> Thank you for that illustration. That's what it feels like right there. And the other parents get the pins ready because there's some other good times you could do the same thing. I could use some crying babies in this message. Don't be annoyable. Wouldn't that be a great quality to have? You just, you just don't get annoyed. I was thinking, who do I know like this? And one person came to my mind, just to give you an illustration. Many years ago, I had the privilege of becoming a friend with Dr. Wilbur Williams, who is a you know, 50-year professor of biblical theology and archaeology at Indiana Wesleyan University. And um, we've done many tours of Israel with him. We did a tour of Steps of Paul with him. I've spent tons of time with him, very godly man. I think we have a picture. There's, that's Corinth, okay? There we are at Corinth. And probably the godliest man I know is that man that I have my arm around right there. And one of the things that I just admire about him, you know, you, if, you, if you get a group of 45 people, you put them in a tour bus and you spend like 15 days together, the questions, and, and he's leading the tour, right? The questions that people ask at times where I'm just sort of like, oh, they do not go to my church, right? <laughs> and yet I've watched him just graciously handle that, didn't get upset about it. You know, the person who's, you know, running late or whatever, no problem. That man is tough to annoy. And it has to do with the fact that he's a very Christ-like man in my life. And those two things, I think, tend to go together. Overlook it. When a man or a woman overlooks an offense, slow to anger, just sort of lets it go, that is to his glory. That's what Proverbs says, okay? So overlook it, number one. Number two is to ask God to develop the quality in your life that you are slow to anger. Now, this is similar to the overlooking, but it is different, okay? We all know that when our fuses get short, we are so easily Frustrated, and then all of a sudden, there's some little slight, and it's what? It's Mount Vesuvius on Pompeii, right? <laughs> Out it comes. And, you know, you look at that one thing, and you're like, really, you're that upset about, you know, not getting the smaller portion of pudding? Like, really? But was it really the smaller portion of pudding, or was it the, like, hundred other things that led to that that were not dealt with? Still angry about it, ready to just explode, Think about Jesus. 
And it's always easy to point to him, like, be like him. Well, yes, indeed, we're supposed to be. And you look at Jesus, what's the, like, forget the pudding, what's the worst offense that has ever been done against anybody? It is clearly the injustice done against Jesus, the perfect human being, never morally sinned, always love, and yet he was crucified. He was killed. And yet on the cross, what does he pray? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What an amazing example of slow to anger. In fact, to to note that Jesus, as he died on the cross, was not an angry Savior. He wasn't angry. Gracious to the end. And just think about, you know, James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Think of how the culture of our homes would change if, if we could just take a small step that direction, that we all were you know, a, little, uh, a little quicker to listen, a little slower to speak, a little slower to anger. Maybe that'd be a great prayer in the morning. Dear God, today, with my family, help me be slow to anger. Okay? So that's number two. Get the long fuse, man. Get the long fuse. Number three is to choose to let love cover it, okay? You can't overlook it. I was slow, but I'm angry now. What do I do? Choose to let love cover it. Here's what Peter writes, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. How do we do that? Well, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love can cover a multitude of sins. Now, we've talked about this in the past, and maybe you recall uh, that we call this stretchy love. Okay, this verse, stretchy love, because the Greek word there for covers actually means that, that love stretches over that sin. And note, by the way, that it's sin in 1 Peter 4, 8, not slight or irritation. It's like actual sins, that love can cover actual sins. How does it work? So here's a rubber band, okay? Here's a... So here's, here's irritation in the family. It's like this little, uh, 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 right? As a Christian, I understand that what God did when he stretched over me was the massive stretch, right? If you understand, if you took communion faithfully today, you were celebrating that God did the massive stretch and covered or atoned for your sins, okay? We get that, we believe that, yay, amen, amen. And then we go home And it's like irritation, irritation, irritation. And the elasticity of our love for others has to be shaped by the amazing love of God towards us. Okay? And so that's why we call it stretchy love. How stretchy is your love for your family members, the people that are in your life? And if your love is not elastic, if it's like, you know, do you actually get this or not? And maybe that's where you go back to the gospel and say, hey, wait a second. I am, my, my heart and my love and my relationships, I am in no way looking like somebody who believes in the gospel of Christ. To preach the gospel to your heart every day, that's what the Puritans said, We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. 
And what is that gospel? That I am the worst sinner I know, and Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. God, help me to love others like you have loved me. And I wonder if today God might be calling you to stretch over some sin or offense of the past that is keeping you from a healthy relationship with a family member. You say, I can't do it. No, you can't. But you can apply the love of Christ in your heart towards them and ask God for help. So, as I say that, anybody coming to mind? Is it maybe the person that you were going to say their name earlier in the message when I said one, two, three? You're like, oh, no, not them. Not them. Certainly not them. Yes, them. That's exactly them right there. Number four, you've tried to overlook it, you can't. You've prayed for slow to anger, but the fuse eventually has gotten burned up. You're trying to stretch, but can't do it. What do we do? We bear with it. We bear with it. Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That word bearing, it insinuates weight. We don't bear, we don't bear a feather, right? We bear a sack of potatoes. We bear something that is, is heavy. We say that to each other. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a burden you are bearing. So this is a big deal. Like these are the hard things. This is the heavy things that we are called to bear. Bearing means there are going to be times of difficulty and distress. Any human relationship requires a certain level of bearing. And bearing here means that sometimes with one another, we just have to suck it up buttercup. Okay? Sometimes you just suck it up and say, broken world, this is what happens, I'm moving on. Now, notice the rest of the phrase, though. Bear with them, what? In love. Not bear with them, but quietly resent them the rest of their lives. Not bear with them and keep that mental list of all the things they've done against me, and someday in heaven, maybe if they make it, I'll talk to them about it. (laughs) Bear with them isn't passive-aggressive, withdrawing relationship and saying, I'm bearing with you, but we ain't going to be close. No, I bear with them in love and ask God for help to do that. But what happens if you've overlooked it, tried, can't, you've prayed to God, slow to anger, slow to anger, I'm angry. Now I'm angry. You have tried to stretch over it, applied gospel love, can't do it. Purpose to bear with it as best you can, but you're still struggling. Here's the nuclear And that is to accept the annoying person as God has accepted you. Okay? If nothing else works, here you go. And this is Romans 15, verse 7. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. Now what I want you to realize in this phrase is the rest of it. Why would I do that? Like I am so annoyed with these people. I want out. I want like... You know, 
I want separation. I don't, I don't want closeness. Why would I do that? Notice, in order to bring praise to God. You see that? What is the primary goal of a Christian's life? To bring glory to God. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is our ultimate big goal and purpose? I want in my life to bring glory to God. Okay, how do you do that on the horizontal level? There are times where in order to bring praise to God, I just flat accept that person. And there is a difference between acceptance and agreement, by the way. I can accept people that I don't agree with. It doesn't mean that I'm agreeing with all that you are and all of your mess, but I am accepting you anyway. And we see here what is really on the line in our relationships. It isn't about your sense of justice and your need to win or your need of, like, you know, proving that you were right. What is on the line is that when I accept a fellow sinner, warts and all, I am reenacting the fact that God in Christ accepted me sins and all. That wasn't a loud enough amen, I'm going to say it again. When I accept somebody, warts and all, I am reenacting that God in Christ accepted me sins and all. Okay? Okay? Sins and all. All my baggage. All my junk. All my idiosyncrasies that a divine, holy, almighty God might look at and go, not my preference. All of that God receives into his family and accepts me through Christ. And so we see here that how, how God is not praised or honored when Christians merely coexist or when we just nurse resentment and have grudges against one another, always annoyed at one another, a low-grade irritation constantly in the home. But when we are amazed that God would love a sinner like me, and that tenderizes my heart towards this person, yes, with all their junk, and I accept them for who they are, God is praised by that. And maybe in the end, that is the best that you can do. To know that when you step before God and give an account for your life and this key relationship in your life, that you, you went through all the steps, but in the end, you just accepted them for who they are, God is praised. So how are you going to treat your sister this week? How are you going to handle your mother-in-law this week? How are you going to uh, treat your son or daughter, spouse, this week? All of that has to do with the gospel and what you actually believe and the application of it to life. And that's why this just it brings us back to where we always end up, always end up. I'm a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. That's the bottom line, okay? And you can read books, and you can go to seminars, and you can do all these things, but it just basically comes back to that one key point. I'm a great sinner. But Christ is a great Savior. And that reality lived out in the day-to-day of life in the home helps overcome my annoyances. So just to review, overlook it. Slow to anger about it, stretchy love cover it, 
bearing in love towards one another, and a Jesus-type acceptance of the annoying person, thankful that Jesus, in love, accepted me, in spite of how dreadfully annoying and irritating I was to him. And in the end, he gets the glory, and we get the good.